Hello, and welcome back to the Site School Podcast. My name is Valerie Stimick Bailey, and I am your host. This is the podcast where you can learn, learn how to grow, and learn how to earn more from your website. In this episode, we're going to be covering a topic in SEO or search engine optimization. This is one you may have heard about, or maybe it's the first time you're hearing, but either way, it's one of the most important concepts in SEO at this time. This episode is focused on EAT or EAT, which is how I'm going to refer to it. Not to get confusing, I shouldn't mention eating any other time during the episode, so if you hear me say EAT, it means EAT, which stands for expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. Whether you've heard of EAT a million times or it's a brand new concept, it's helpful for me to define it using Google's Search Quality Rater guidelines. They define EAT as expertise, which is the expertise of the creator of the content, authoritativeness, meaning the authoritativeness of the creator of the content itself and of the website, and then trustworthiness, which is similar, the trustworthiness of the creator, the content, and the website. And these are three qualitative factors that Google uses to try and understand whether your content is good and worth being used by readers. And it's not really about metrics like backlinks or page views. It's sort of this new concept, relatively new, I should say. It's been around for a couple of years at this point that Google is learning how to get good at, learning how to understand if you have expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. So why does EAT matter and should you focus on it? Um, obviously, if I'm doing a podcast episode about it, I think you should focus on it. I think it's actually part of the future of SEO. And if it's something you've never heard about, I strongly recommend doing some additional research after you finish this podcast episode. Um, I have a helpful post over on SiteSchool, but there are lots of great resources out there. If you just Google EAT and SEO, you will find them. So the interesting thing is that Google has really made it clear that EAT is part of SEO now. It's part of the algorithms that they're building to try and understand content and understand what makes good content. And you might wonder whether it's worth focusing on since it's this qualitative factor that is really hard to optimize or engineer. But the important thing to keep in mind is either your competitors are already focusing on EAT and how they can demonstrate it, in which case you're falling behind, or they're not focusing on it, in which case it's something that can help you stand apart from them. Now, EAT is not a ranking factor in Google. It's not like uh, backlinks or site speed or something like that, but it is somehow tied into what Google is doing when they assess our websites and determine who should rank higher or lower. And there's some things you can do to help demonstrate that you have EAT in the topics that you write about. In the rest of this episode, I'm going to go through eight of the things that I recommend that I think are pretty simple and that you should absolutely be doing to help with your EAT score, even though it's not really a score and we don't really know how Google measures it. That said, I think if you do these things, they will help your readers and thus Google understand that you are an expert, that you are an authority, and that you are trustworthy, and that will help your SEO overall. So the first thing you want to do to demonstrate you have EAT is to talk about your experience. This is a funny thing that I've heard, especially in bloggers and website owners that have experience related content, such as travel bloggers or food bloggers, they often don't mention the last time they did the thing they're writing about. So if you're a travel blogger, you should absolutely say, I traveled to this place in this month and this year. Or if you're a food blogger, you should say, I last made this recipe in this month of this year. It's really interesting because it doesn't seem like that should matter because you have a published date on your site, but it does matter to readers. They want to understand when you're recommending them to do something, how recent is your experience? 
That means, of course, if you haven't done the thing or been to the place recently, you may want to prioritize redoing that if you're, say, updating a post to add this in, because it may look not as good if you say, well, I recommend going to this destination, but I haven't been there since 2012. Anyway, it's one of those simple things that you can add, especially in your introduction, that really solidifies to your readers and thus to Google that you have experience. If you don't mention that you've ever been to a place, how does your reader know you've been there? Now, you may have photos of yourself visiting that destination, and that's also something you should absolutely include. But many travel bloggers don't ever have photos of themselves or feel uncomfortable in front of the camera, so they don't have that proof, and then they don't mention that they've actually been there. And we all know there are bloggers in every niche that are creating content based on no experience, no authority, no expertise, and then they shouldn't get good EAT scores because they can't demonstrate that experience like we can. So start now, start from today. Whenever you work on a post, either a new one or you're updating an old one, make sure you mention your actual experience in the introduction. Let people know that you actually did the thing that you're recommending them to do. The next thing you can focus on is creating comprehensive content. And this is not the idea of the skyscraper post. I think that there was a bit of a confusion in the SEO world a few years ago, maybe about five years ago, when everyone was recommending writing these huge long posts, like 10,000 words covering every possible topic in that one post so that people got all their answers in just one URL. And that was, for a time, kind of effective because you could rank for lots of keywords and Google seemed happy about that but it's not the case anymore. You absolutely want to make sure that you're being comprehensive, but in the right way. So your post should be long enough to answer the question that someone has put into Google. And they may not have even written a question. They may have just entered a phrase and ended up on your website, but whatever the meaning is behind what they put into Google, you want to have that in your post, of course. You might wanna encourage them to check out some related content or have a few extra sections that support the answer they're looking for. You obviously wanna have some internal links to point them to other articles they might wanna to read too, and then you wanna stop. So you wanna be comprehensive enough, but not exhaustively comprehensive. Word count is not a proxy for usefulness. It just means that you have a lot of words. And we all know if you ever hire a writer to do something and you give them a word count, there's a lot of extra words. So this means we can't use word count for ourselves or for others as any evidence that we know what we're talking about or that we're being helpful to our readers. Instead, we should think about what does a reader need to know? What additional information might I add? What links can I point them to to keep them on my site? And then thanks very much. I appreciate you spending time on my website and let them go. The next piece of demonstrating EAT is about being comprehensive in a different way. In addition to writing posts which are comprehensively answering the question that someone asked and maybe providing some additional information that's tangentially related, you also want to write multiple posts on the same topic. So in the case of travel, which is what I'm primarily in, I want to make sure that I have a lot of different content about California because, well, California is even too big. Let's not even, let's not even go that broad. Let's say San Francisco. We're gonna use San Francisco as an example. I don't just wanna write one giant post about San Francisco. That was the last piece of advice I gave you. You wanna break it up. What do people need to know? Different itineraries, those are gonna be different posts. Where to stay, that's gonna be a different post. Where to eat, a different post. Best tours to Alcatraz, different post. Best day trips, and so on. By doing all of that different content about the same city, I demonstrate that I have a lot of knowledge about that city, whether it's San Francisco or London. I have a whole site about London, so like obviously I'm trying to demonstrate EAT there. But this applies even if you're not in the travel niche. If you have a certain type of recipe, you wanna have multiple kinds of recipe about that same thing, whether it's a technique you're using or an ingredient you focused on or a type of cuisine. If you do arts and crafts, you wanna have more than one article about the type of craft or art that you do so that Google can understand you don't just know how to do one technique, you know how to do that one technique in a variety of ways and you're an expert on that topic. You can be trusted on that topic. 
So when you start to think about your content strategy and how to demonstrate EAT, I would look for gaps where you can create content to complement your existing content and show that you have more EAT on that topic. There's more posts. That's a good way to demonstrate that. Next up, let's talk about demonstrating your authority. So up to this point, I've been focused on demonstrating expertise, and now we're gonna kind of shift to authority because that's an important part of EAT. The first thing I want you to do is open your about page. You have one, but when's the last time you looked at it? And honestly, I don't know that I could answer this question on some of my sites because I don't ever look at mine either. So don't feel bad if you haven't looked at this in a long time, or maybe you don't even have one, but now is the time to create that page. You want that page to talk about the important things to demonstrate EAT, your authority, what credentials do you have to be talking about the topic you blog about? Now, credentials could mean actual things you earned, like degrees or certifications, but it could also just mean experience traveling if you're a travel blogger. So one of the things that I talk to a lot of my mentoring clients about is just how many years have you been traveling? How many countries have you been to? How long have you lived in a place if you're writing about that place? Those are kind of good examples. Even if you don't have a certificate saying you've been to 50 countries, you can say you've been to 50 countries and you can prove that. And so that gives you some authority. So the next task you need to do is just head over to your about page and give it an update. Either way, you should give it an update, but keep in mind what you can do to demonstrate your authority on your topic. How long have you been doing the thing that you write about? What evidence do you have that you are good at the thing that you're writing about so that when people end up on that about page or when Google sees your about page, they agree and they give you a little bit of a boost in this EAT thing we're talking about. Next up, let's talk about author bios. So sometimes I've gotten pushback when I recommend people turning on author bios, but Google has made it very clear that they want us to have the author bio in every single blog post, even if you're running a site where you're the only author. The idea here is that it's something you turn on in your theme and it appears all across your site, but that means we need to make sure your author bio at the bottom of every blog post is relevant to your blog. So it's another area kind of like your about page that you need to go in, audit, and make sure really demonstrates that you have the expertise and the authority to write about whatever people have just read from you. At the end of the day, your readers may not ever see it, they may not ever read it, but Google can see that it's there and Google has told us to add them. So sometimes we just do a Google once and move on to something else on our list. So now let's shift over to trustworthiness, which is the final part of EAT. The first thing you need to do is make sure that you're being accurate in everything you write. So from today forward, obviously, you're gonna be accurate. You wanna make sure facts, figures, dates, prices, any kind of information like that is accurate. Distances, gosh, that's one that gets me all the time. Gotta get the distances right according to Google Maps or they can tell. The other thing you need to start doing is going back into your old content and ensuring that it is also accurate. And I know that's scary because frankly, SEO has changed. Probably what you're going to find in your back catalog is not going to be up to SEO standards, but it still needs to at least be accurate. So what you can either do is turn this into a nightly Netflix activity, something that I do where I kind of just set aside 10 blog posts and go through them and make sure that all the links are working, all the prices are correct, anything I have like that. Or you could look at hiring someone because this is pretty simple for someone else to do. At the end of the day, all they're gonna be doing is checking your facts and figures and your links against Google. And Google knows if you're right or wrong. So you wanna make sure you match Google. And if you ever have uncertainty, you can check other resources too, like the company website or something like that. But at the end of the day, you just need to have your website as accurate as possible because that's what people expect of you. And so if people are expecting it to maintain your trust with them, you have to be accurate. The next thing I advise is to generally agree with the consensus. So back in 2016 and 2017, Google rolled out some major updates that affected sites that didn't agree with general consensus in various industries. You might've heard about this in the quote, your money or your life categories like finance and healthcare. They cracked down on sites that were 
just promoting things that were not scientifically validated, not sound advice. But this can also apply to other niches too. So if you write about food and everybody else generally recommends baking chicken to 165 degrees and you recommend baking it to 160, that may affect what the way Google sees your trustworthiness and certainly your readers because that's a health safety issue and you need to make sure that you agree with everyone else. For another example, if you're writing a post about things to do in a certain destination and everywhere else always recommends the same five places but you don't include three of those, Google's gonna wonder why you don't include those three when everybody else seems to. You wanna make sure you're aligned with your competitors on certain things that it's just kind of the general consensus, but that doesn't mean you have to agree on everything. So one of the things I really like to do is, for example, in travel, if there's five things that everyone recommends, I make sure I include those five things, of course, unless I don't agree with one of them, in which case I leave it out of my list of things to do, but I add a different section that mentions why I didn't include it. So technically it still gets included in my content, just not as something I recommend. Basically, you wanna think about where do you need to agree with the consensus for you to be trustworthy? Meaning if someone checks your article against someone else's article on the same topic, there's some agreement and it makes sense. But you can also do that in a unique way that helps you stand out. So when you don't agree with the consensus, you can still include that so that people can see that you have an opinion and you provide recommendations based on your expertise, authority, and now your trustworthiness. The final thing you have to do is one that I've already mentioned, which is just keeping your content updated. So in addition to ensuring that your content is accurate when you update it, you may just wanna go through over time and work on your old posts to make sure that they are up to the best practices for SEO today, that they recommend the things that people are recommending to do today, unless you decide to deviate from the consensus and explain why, as I just mentioned. Just kind of keeping your content updated in general is a good practice, especially if you're in a niche that was affected by the pandemic. So if you are a post-pandemic business, anything from pre-pandemic needs to be addressed because it's actually a liability to recommend things from pre-pandemic if they may be different now. So just kind of think about how you can start to build a system to keep your posts updated. And that may mean hiring a VA or hiring a writer or having them help you because you wanna to continue to publish new content, but you also have to keep old content updated too. So just to recap, because this was a longer episode than I usually do, here are eight things you can do to improve your EAT with Google, which is going to help you rank higher and get more readers. Number one, talk about your direct experience. Number two, write comprehensive content that answers the question, but not too much. Number three, write multiple posts on the same topic. Number four, ensure your about page is strong. Number five, add an author bio to all of your blog posts. Number six, Ensure accuracy in everything you write, including your back catalog of articles. Number seven, agree with the consensus or disagree, but in a thoughtful way. And number eight, keep your content updated regularly. If you have any questions about EAT, I would love to help. This is one of the topics that I most love talking about in SEO and I most love helping people improve. And uh, you can find me in the Site School Facebook community. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast player you are listening on. That is so helpful for finding new listeners and also just spreading the word and giving me feedback. So if you have any feedback, I look forward to receiving that through your review. And I will be back soon with more education to help you learn, grow, and earn more from your website.